is Wage Work, where we talk to the most interesting people in the world on KABF 88.3, the voice of the people. You want to see how the other half lives? Well, see how we get around. Why don't you come visit me on the east side of town? You know the story on Wage World. We talk to the most interesting people in the world. Today we're talking to old friends and comrades of mine who've written a book, Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. Susan, Suzanne Gordon and Steve Early, along with a co-author, Jasper Previtt. But we have Suzanne and Steve with us today. Welcome to Wage World. Thank you, Wade. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. We have both of them, so that's always exciting. What brought you to write this book, uh, Suzanne and Steve? Suzanne? Well, we I've been writing about veterans' issues and veterans' health issues um, for about 10 years, and <clears throat> Steve um, was very interested in the parallels between um, the veterans' movements and veterans' organizations and the unions that he's worked with for for decades, and uh, I'd written about veterans' health care, but it became very clear to both of us that there were a lot of issues around how veterans are used as symbols of performative patriotism in this society, how they're really treated versus the sort of mantras of thank you for your service that they routinely get and how 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 they are really not thanked for their service and um how they're put in harm's way by a military by the military that really doesn't take care of them and assure their safety in in ways um that that confront them with preventable harm and um, and then, obviously, the role that they play in American politics and American society. And so we decided to tackle that issue together with our co-author, Jasper Craven, who's a young investigative journalist who covers military and veterans affairs. One big uh, concern you all have had and this book uh, highlights, as well as some other works you've done, has been the the ongoing efforts to privatize and diminish the VA hospital system. Uh, that's also a big theme in this book, isn't it? Yes, and, and um, another, another thing that hurts military <clears throat> families and military service members is that they're also privatizing the military health system. So they're um, trying to cut costs both for active duty service members and for members of the military. And I helped found and work with Jasper Craven on a, in a group called the Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute, and we've been very actively fighting the kind of privatization that's been going on for, well, now over, over a decade, and it's been tragically successful in... in um, depriving veterans of, of the benefits that they deserve. It doesn't seem like, uh, from reading your book, that the early signs of the Biden administration are much better on that score. 
Unfortunately, that is true. Uh, uh, you know, Joe Biden ran for president in 2020, uh, positioning himself as a great friend of labor and veterans. Uh, on veterans' issues, he said he would never uh, <clears throat> defund or dismantle or privatize our veterans' health care system, which serves 9 million patients, largest public health care system in the country. And the sad reality of the first two years of his administration is that uh, he has continued the incremental privatization of, of veterans' health care, uh, about a third of the $100 billion a year allocated by the Department of Veterans Affairs for direct care is now diverted to the for-profit private health care industry uh, where veterans are, are sent for care that's more costly, often less effective, uh, less well-suited to their particular needs. And on the issue of uh, building back better at the VA in the network of 1,200 clinics and hospitals that serve veterans around the country, just a couple of months ago, Biden's uh, uh, VA secretary, uh, Dennis McDonough, proposed closing uh, scores of those hospitals and clinics. And, and that was only blocked by a grassroots mobilization of, uh, of veterans, their organizations, and, and most importantly, the union members serving veterans uh, who belong to the American Federation of Government Employees and National Nurses United and SEIU in some places and uh, several other unions. The, uh, some, uh, I, I want to get this sometime, not on the question of health care, but um, some uh, veterans, some the National Guard in Texas is, is starting to organize a union, isn't it, Steve? Yes, and uh, I think that's a, a very exciting development. Uh, I'm quite proud of it, though I have nothing to do with it directly because, as you know, both Suzanne and I are, are members of the Communication Workers of America via the News Guild, and uh, I was a longtime CWA organizer when I was on active duty, and one of CWA's most dynamic affiliates uh, over the last 40 years has uh, been the Texas State Employees Union. and. TSEU started hearing from members of the Texas National Guard um, about six months ago who were unhappy about being called up for in-state duty by their Republican governor, Mr. Abbott, and with very little notice uh, and very unclear mission, uh, sent to guard the uh, Texas uh, or the U.S.-Mexico border uh, because the federal government supposedly wasn't doing a good enough job of that. This was terribly disruptive, the lives of thousands of Guard members. Uh, he, at great expense, they were uh, uh, shipped out with very short notice. And to add insult to injury, uh, the government at the same time was spending uh, tens of millions of dollars on this politicized deployment, cut their tuition assistance. So they had a, an important job-related issue, and uh, they did some legal research, found out that if they were assigned in-state, they actually had the right to organize, unlike federal troops, and uh, they started uh, building a, a, a union movement that's uh, going to be hopefully an effective vehicle for advocating for their interests in the state legislature and before the public and the taxpayers in Texas. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's part of this sort of movement moment we're seeing, so it's nice to see uh, that happening. Suzanne, help us a little bit for the listeners. Uh, a lot of people, civilians particularly, without military experience, just assume that all veterans have access to the VA. That's not exactly the case, is it? No. Um, 
you have to have the right discharge from the military and one of the things that people are very unaware of is that the military since 1980 and even in the Vietnam War uses a particular discharge category it's called other than honorable <clears throat> and also <clears throat> general discharge um, to deny people benefits so if you're between 1980 and now about 600,000 people have gotten this other than honorable or bad paper discharge and often um, they get it because they had a fight on the weekend or they got drunk or they abused substances or they show up late for formation um, and they can be discharged um, in a way that denies them the health care and education benefits that they were promised. There's another discharge category that is called general discharge, and it denies people education benefits. And this discharge, I mean, we spent some time explaining this because it's very uh, administered in a very um, punishing fashion so that a, a person who had mental health problems and is using substances or getting to fights or whatever or has a traumatic brain injury, the military commander may not want to take the time that it takes to give them a medical discharge and, and because it means that a non-deployable um, service members on their books and they get judged and promoted on the basis of how many deployable people they have and so they get they they do what's called chaptering them out they get rid of them with these um other than honorable discharges and that deny them health care benefits and education benefits and these are people that really need health care benefits because most of the time their behavior is a result of some sort of trauma um, a lot of women or men, because this happens to men and women, who are victims of military sexual trauma and report, of, let's say, a superior officer who was raped them or harassed them or whatever, they can also get uh, kicked out with these discharges. I mean, we profiled a guy, a wonderful veteran activist named Christopher Goldsmith, who had a suicide attempt in Iraq, and he was sent out with a general discharge that denied him education benefits and so he went to the VA after he was discharged and kind of got his life together thanks from help at the VA healthcare system but then he was kind of ready to rock and roll and he couldn't get his the education benefits that he was um, uh, promised to get his education which he eventually struggled to get at Columbia University. So this is really unfair. And then um, you also have to have a proven service-connected disability, which is often hard to prove because um, you have to have a paper trail about, you know, an injury that you incurred during military service. Plus, in the military, you're discouraged from getting that paper trail because you're discouraged from going to the doctor um, because you're a weakling, you know, if you, if you 
if you admit to needing help and if you have mental health problems it can really be career ending and then the final obstacle is that you have to have a low enough income so between all those three categories uh and 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 also there's a byzantine claims process at an understaffed veterans benefits administration so between all those obstacles we only have about nine million people out of the 19 million veterans enrolled in the va uh, healthcare system and one of the things that we advocate in the book is that these benefits should be available to all veterans not just with all these minus el- these crazy eligibility requirements what we're rich enough to cover all veterans and even their families we're talking to suzanne gordon and steve early who are two of the three co-authors of our veterans winners losers friends and enemies on the new terrain of veterans affairs speaking of benefits uh, there was an article the other day on uh, the problem in our you know current housing crisis inflation um, prices and rents that military families, of course, have a fixed housing allowance and are being, you know, pushed to the brink and trying to find places to live in the U.S. Uh, are you, have you heard about that issue in the course of your research, uh, Steve and Suzanne? Uh, yes, very definitely. I mean, I think it's, it's a part of a, a broader pattern of uh, what you might call the fraying of the military welfare state. You know, in the 1970s, when they abolished the draft after the, uh, all the unrest within the ranks of the military over the Vietnam War, uh, the military really had to beef up its package of benefits as an incentive to get people to, to join. Uh, it was no longer the, the threat of uh, people being drafted, which was a big inducement to indu- enlistment. So they had to improve housing. They had to improve health care coverage, access to higher education at the end of the road through the GI Bill. And uh, the problem now is that uh, even though the military has a budget of $840 billion a year, it's not living up to its bargain with service members. Uh, it's not providing adequate base housing. As you just mentioned, that report by AP showed that the basic allowance for housing for uh, off-base uh, living uh, doesn't cover rising rents. And... Uh, uh, as Suzanne mentioned, military health services have been privatized and uh, have become more spotty. Uh, pay is still a challenge. And then be, after people leave the military, uh, you know, there's gaps in their uh, GI Bill coverage, which leaves some of them still on the hook for paying for higher education. Uh, there's the problems with VA benefits that we just talked about. And then there's the other role issue that really has been highlighted by the PACT Act, this legislation designed to help 3.5 million people exposed to toxic and, and that is, you know, you have people who never leave the country, never go into combat, but are exposed to unnecessary hazards, like a marine base, like Camp Lejeune, which for 30 years had poisoned base uh, water wells that have left people uh, with toxic exposure that uh, they now have to apply for benefits for. So... There's a lot of things that the military could do to reduce what we call friendly fire. It doesn't just come in the form of being shot at or shelled by folks on your own side. A lot of it has to do with the Department of Defense being a very careless and and callous and reckless uh, non-union employer. Yeah, I mean, 126 bases in the United States are contaminated by perfluorinated compounds, and... um, 
You know, I mean, one of the big things that that we uncovered, I mean, it it was the work of a a former service member who talks about military debt and the suicide crisis, both within the military and active duty service members and veterans. And, you know, Steve just outlined some of the reasons for this debt. I mean, the reality is military pay is very low. And so it was supposed to be, you, you were supposed to be compensated for that low pay with all these supposed benefits, but then they don't deliver on the benefits. So thank you for your service. It's, uh, it's a rough way to go, and I'm glad you're looking at it. The, one of the things that uh, is different if we talk about these years in the draft is the number of women who are service members in the various military forces, and that's obviously been an issue um, getting uh, them integrated in there. But uh, from what I understand, uh, investigations around sexual harassment uh, have not made the progress that uh, we would have thought after all the publicity a couple of years ago and uh, Senator Gil Brown's uh, from New York's efforts there. I mean, what's the status of those situations? Is that uh, something you all look at? Yeah, so, and and I'll let Steve talk about the bill, but... Um, the problem is what's called MST, military sexual trauma, and um, it, it, military sexual trauma it, it includes everything from lower-level sexual harassment and discrimination to outright rape and, and even murder. Um, and mostly it impacts women, but men, too, can be victims. And um, something like one in, in five or one in four women, um, the women now make, about, make up about 14% of the, of the active duty service members. And, in, and since uh, 2013, they're allowed into combat. And um, there's just this terrible problem of um, sexual trauma. I mean, we rape um, uh, harassment often by superior officers. We profiled one young woman in the book who was actually raped twice in in the same year, and you know she it was just devastating and tragic to listen to her. You know, talk about was it my fault? How could this happen? And it's the fault of a very misogynist culture. Um, I mean, there are all kinds of scandals. There was the Navy tail look scandal. Um, they were uh, they in Iran recently. Um, they were using the taxpayers' money in in the Navy to to bring in prostitutes from Thailand and house them on at the taxpayers' expense on in these apartments. And it's just a very misogynist culture and. Um, so there's been an increase in military sexual trauma, but there's not the equivalent increase in the prosecution of it. And women and men who experience it are discouraged from um, reporting. Some of them can be discharged with, with these bad paper discharges. And Senator Gillibrand, and Steve can, can take over from here, uh, proposed a bill that would, would remedy this. Steve, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and, and this was a bipartisan effort. Uh, it started several years ago. Uh, Gillibrand teamed up with uh, Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa in the Senate, who's uh, 
Oh, uh, she's a retired uh, National Guard Lieutenant General, but as a sexual assault survivor herself. Uh, and their original legislation uh, really uh, targeted the decision-making power of commanding officers, which uh, they ha- has to be taken away from them. There's going to be independent and aggressive investigations of a lot of these cases uh, involving not only sexual assault, but uh, sometimes um, uh, hate crimes and other kind of uh, misbehavior. And uh, both uh, uh, Defense Secretary uh, 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 Austin and several uh, Democrats on the Armed Services Committee uh, in the Senate uh, undermined this this, uh, effort to reform the military justice system. There was a lot of foot dragging. Uh, Congress finally passed kind of a watered-down measure. There is a new system of special victim prosecutors who are going to handle these cases involving sexual assault, rape, murder, and domestic violence. Uh, But the uh, commanders are going to still have too much discretion about who gets investigated, who gets charged, and how these court martials are are handled. And Gillibrand, at the end of the day, basically said this compromise was a disservice to our service members. And it didn't send the right sort of signal, really, because now you have a really devastating scandal at a lower level of military recruitment in public high schools. You know, there's a half a million kids around the country in junior ROTC programs, and as the New York Times just reported, uh, uh, more than 30 uh, junior ROTC instructors on the DOD payroll uh, have been uh, criminally charged in the last five years for, for sexual assault of teenagers weren't even on active duty yet, but hoping for a military career and signing up for military science courses in high school. So that needs to be cleaned up, too, to say the least. Uh, We've got uh, a lot of work ahead of us. We're talking to Suzanne Gordon and Steve Early about uh, their new book with uh, Jasper Craven, Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. It's it's been popular for more than 100 years to... uh, wave the bloody shirt, as they called it, after the Civil War in politics. Um, And you've mentioned this before as well, but we had an excerpt from the book that ran in the last issue of Social Policy um, about the way veterans are exploited uh, or allowed to be manipulated in uh, politics. Uh, Share that with us, please. Uh, Suzanne, you want to talk about that? Or? No, why don't you start and then I'll chime in. Well, this is something we noticed when we moved out here 10 years ago uh, to California. Uh, as you know, well, wait, California is a state which loves to put controversial measures uh, uh, related to uh, drug prices or uh, auto insurance regulation or um, uh, rent control on, uh, on statewide ballots. And uh, special interests, private interests, uh, who are opposed to reform measures, uh, spend uh, hundreds of millions of dollars out here uh, defeating things that would protect workers and consumers and and tenants. And what we discovered, really, as as voters, as new California residents, that uh, in some of these campaigns in recent years, uh, veterans' organizations were being enlisted on the uh, pro-corporate side of of these uh, uh, of, of these ballot contests. And uh, so we profiled one key veteran lobbyist, uh, recently deceased, a fellow named Pete Conaty, operated out of the state legislature in, in Sacramento, very influential lobbyist, but basically was uh, 
you know, the architect of a pretty scuzzy rent-a-vet strategy where the uh, endorsements of, of veterans' organizations, state-level organizations, uh, could be purchased by uh, powerful private interests that wanted to defeat reform measures on the ballot by putting up billboards uh, showing that veterans were supposedly against them, even when these were measures like expansion of rent re regulation that would have benefited uh, hundreds of thousands of veterans in the state and their families. Yeah, and, and if you look at the, the, the connection, if you connect the dots between the veteran, the active duty service member housing crisis, I mean, one of the things that he organized veterans for was against this rent, uh, an expansion of rent control. Would, would have helped veterans in San Diego, I mean, service members in San Diego get cheaper housing, affordable housing. I mean, it, it's just interesting how that, that, uh, that, you know, action a number of years ago reverberates today. Uh, they tried to get uh, one of the things that he helped oppose was Prop 61, which was an effort to expand the VA's ability to negotiate prices with the drug industry for getting more affordable pharmaceuticals. And he, they were going to apply that to public hospitals in California, which are very few and far between. And Conady was hired by the drug industry uh, to bring in groups like the Legion and so forth to oppose this on the grounds that somehow uh, veterans' ability to get better prices at pharmaceuticals uh, in the VA would be impacted by this uh, legislation, which was completely phony. Um, but they went out there and, and mobilized folks against this. And this is a real... Uh, example of the misuse of, of American veterans, we feel, to attack, uh, you know, their own interests and the interests of communities, because many veterans come from lower-income communities that would have benefited from both rent control and uh, cheaper pharmaceuticals. Excellent. Suzanne and Steve, uh, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but what can we do? Uh, give the listeners some shot at what uh, you mentioned earlier some things that we need to do to support veterans. We can be anti-war, but we have to be pro-veterans. Uh, uh, what are your recommendations? Well, one very simple thing is for people in the healthcare reform movement who tend not to connect the dots between the VA and, and proposals for Medicare for All or a national health system to really embrace the VA and to fight VA privatization just as they're fighting the privatization of Medicare. Um, similar activities, um, I mean, we, we should be using the GI Bill as an example of how we need to expand beyond what the military welfare state, and I think Steve has some ideas maybe he'd like to throw in. Yeah, well, I think that there's a parallel privatization threat uh, involving uh, one of the biggest federal employers of veterans, which is the Postal Service. So, you know, again, if you want to help a veteran, you can send uh, a few bucks to any one of uh, 30,000 charities serving them, but if you want to help veterans uh, hold on to secure, stable, uh, long-term union jobs serving the public, uh, support the postal unions in their ongoing campaign to prevent uh, the postal service from being dismantled and privatized, uh, which is a major threat that they've been fighting. And, uh, you know, we need a, a better funded, better staff, 
and better run uh, post office. And a lot of veterans uh, go from serving their country abroad to serving their fellow citizens at home as postal workers. And you want to help veterans. That's one of the major causes you can get involved in, along with, as Suzanne mentioned, uh, saving the VA. Suzanne, uh, mention again uh, the veterans' health care policy. Is there a website on that that people yes, might be able to um, it's a, There's a Veterans Health Care Policy Institute, and it's um, veteranspolicy.org. And we have a website for our book, which is Our Vets. The, Steve, you know it, right? Yes, it's uh, ourvetsbook.com. Ourvetsbook.com. Duke University Press. So this is Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs, Suzanne Gordon and Steve Early, who've been with us, along with Jasper Craven. And uh, is there an email or anything if people want to continue the conversation with either of you, or is it uh, an info on your website, or, or how can people do that, uh, Suzanne and Steve? We'd love to, we'd love to hear from listeners uh, or readers. Uh, they could contact us at... Uh, L support, L support at AOL.com. L support at AOL.com. This is AOL. We're still old school here. Uh, give us the name of that website for the book in terms of people who don't want to just go to Amazon. It's OurVetsBook.com, and there's an order link that will take you directly to the publisher, Duke University Press, and uh, we definitely recommend bypassing Amazon. Uh, ordering from the publisher, or going to your local independent bookstore if you have one to keep it afloat. Ourvetsbook.com. Thank you, Steve and Suzanne. This has been Wage World for another week, the world where the other half lives, where we talk about things you've never heard, and as Lucinda Williams sang, things you've never seen will never forget. Wage World is underwritten by the Darrell Foundation. They progressive force enabling change based in Little Rock, Arkansas. And as the song goes, we say it loud, we say it on the air, we say it on the radio. Until next week when we'll have another guest, this is Wade Rasty for Wade's World. Thank you.